welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss detection training, canine welfare, conservation biology, and everything in between. I'm Kayla Fratt, one of the co-founders of Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data for land managers, researchers, agencies, and NGOs. Today, I'm super excited for this topic. I'm excited every week. Um, I need to figure out a better way to introduce these people, but we're talking to Katie Brennan for, from the Search Dog Foundation about sourcing shelter dogs for detection work and then career changes for dogs. So Katie is a certified professional dog trainer and a certified dog behavior consultant. She learned about search dogs while working as a trainer with the University of Pennsylvania's Working Dog Center. Katie has combined her knowledge of working with high-drive dogs with her studies and experience in behavior modification and training in order to shape her teaching of agility, obedience, and nose work classes. She worked as a canine trainer for the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation in 2018 before moving back to the Philadelphia area. As the as the canine recruitment outreach manager, Katie works directly with individuals, shelters, and rescues to evaluate potential dogs for conservation for the program and also actively helps to clarify ideal candidate profiles. So you can all hear already exactly why we're excited to talk to Katie. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Kayla. This is, you know, my life's passion and I'm really excited to talk with you and, and everybody that might be listening. Okay, so Katie, why don't we start out with, I don't actually know where this process begins, but the first question I have written down is how does a shelter know to reach out to you? So we can take that from the outreach perspective of how does a shelter know that you exist and know you may be interested in um, acquiring more dogs? And then, you know, the second half of that question is what are they generally looking at in the dog's behavior or profile or whatever that lets them know that this dog is potentially a good candidate and might need to reach out to you all? Yeah, great question. So, you know, part of what we're trying to do as an organization is to continually develop our relationships with organizations, other shelters, rescues, um, individuals, as we mentioned, mm -hmm. and also some inbound career change potential opportunities, such as, you know, service candidates that aren't going to make it through that type of programming, but mm -hmm. might, you know, might not be making it through because they're a little too high octane <laughs> for that work and might be good for us. Um, so, you know, we recruit from all over the country uh, and we do it on the regular. We are always on the lookout for dogs. We have never said no <laughs> to dogs uh, coming in. And, you know, the hope is that we'll never have to. The need for these guys mm -hmm. is great, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, and we really want to help give these guys that need a home a chance at a great career that they're going to love. So kind of in working with individuals as we see them on social media, which is huge for us. And then also just organizations we worked with in the past. Uh, for us, it's really about just getting the messaging out there, um, building that relationship and, you know, letting them know what we're looking for um, on the regular. Uh, we're very lucky in that we have a great number of fabulous partners already that, that exist to us and, and know us and we know them. Um, and some of them may not have ever given us a dog and that's okay. Uh, it's really about just that ongoing process. Um, as our screenings potentially change, you know, things ebb and flow in the dog world, um, mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, 
you know, we always want to make sure to, to try and keep those partners up to date with any potential changes and also to continually find new partners. Um, it's really in, you know, the more eyes, the better at this mm -hmm. point for, I think, all of us that do detection work and especially all of us that do detection work uh, with shelter and rescue dogs. So the more we've got looking, the better the odds of finding that, you know, needle in a haystack, unicorn creature, um, but they are out there. So it's really just spreading the word. Uh, we've been in this business <laughs> for 25 <laughs> years as a nonprofit and you know, we're still going strong and still growing and hopefully we'll definitely continue that trend as the years pass. Um, as we know, disasters are never ending, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these guys are, they're needed um, yeah. and they're, they're wanted by FEMA teams and, and uh, you know, and handlers. So we just want to help, you know, make the difference in the lives of the dogs and also obviously in the lives of mm -hmm. the handlers and potential victims as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of mentioned Facebook uh, and, and other social media platforms have been really great for our outreach. We're, we're fortunate to have a pretty good presence on, on all of that. Um, on uh, just Facebook and Instagram right now. <laughs> um, but who knows what the future will bring. Um, and, you know, it's really, we just, we are just continually looking. We have a, a wonderful core group of volunteers that is looking for us, you know, looking for available dog postings from all over the country. Uh, of course, my friends that uh, from the dog world that might quite not know search dog stuff, but no dogs uh, right, yeah. also tag me regularly and send me um, postings and messages. And so it's, again, it's just this feeling of community, you know, a bunch of people after a similar goal and just trying to help out, <laughs> which is great. Cause as you know, sometimes algorithms are weird and we don't always see things. <laughs> totally. Well, and like, I know I personally have, um, I use a newsfeed blocker on my Facebook. So mm -hmm. I don't see stuff when I log into Facebook, unless I take the time to go to a specific group. Got um, it. And that's, that's just because I, I'm, I have total like poster brain. Like I cannot be trusted with social media. So <laughs> understandable <laughs> yeah yeah the, yep. those algorithms work way too well on on my brain um which is the point <laughs> for sure um, so okay so it sounds like actually most of your or maybe maybe not most but it's not that necessarily a shelter is reaching out to you saying hey we've got huey here he needs he needs a job it's more that they're posting hey huey's a great high drive malinois mix you know He's looking for a really active home and you've got like volunteers out in the, in, in the interwebs who are flagging that dog for you. Is that, is that broadly accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And then the beautiful thing about it is even if, you know, this dog doesn't end up becoming a recruit for us, we still then get to communicate with the shelter. We still get to talk with them, learn yeah, more about uh -huh. what, what they do, their programming. Um, we, you know, we want to know all about them because we want to know the best way to potentially help them screen these dogs, yeah. um, and find great placements for them. Uh, Again, you know, part of our mission is obviously, you know, most of our, our whole mission is to, you know, train dogs for disaster search. However, there's that small part of it too, that is really about helping those dogs, even if they're not right for us, yeah. find their way. Because as we know, 
these guys are not going to be the, you know, walk a day, hang out, you know, at home mm-hmm. type of creatures. They are going to go, go, go and potentially drive someone very crazy in the process. <laughs> so, oh my God, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. if we can, if we can head it off and, you know, potentially help them find a great job, even, you know, with us or with another organization or even help them find their perfect, you know, forever high activity type right. of home, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're game to do it. And it's just, you know, again, it's, it's, it takes a village to do all of this mm-hmm. and we recognize it and acknowledge it and, and want to help, um, you know, our shelter and rescue partners as much as we possibly can. Uh, even if it might not be a ton of help at the moment, you know, even just a simple, yeah. Hey, maybe check with this group, um, you know, could, could yield dividends. Um, right. So no, yeah. I think that's a good, I love the, the point you're making kind of about the distinction in your mission. Like it se- sounds like you kind of have this tiered mission of like, you know, step the most, the, the number one main thing right. is getting these dogs that are ready to go to respond to disasters. But then second to that is, yeah, okay, what can we do to help these dogs who don't have other places to go? And, you know, coming from the shelter world myself, and it sounds like you've got quite a big, bit of experience as well. You know, when I was at the sh- at Denver Dumb Friends League, they get about twenty to 22,000 animals a year. So it's a huge shelter system. And the reality is, even with those dogs that we did get out into working roles, it wasn't that that particular dog, you know, getting that particular dog out, like, opened up a massive amount of shelter space, or it's not that it necessarily fixed the problem for the shelters, but it was that one dog, that one right. really difficult placement that then alleviated kind of a disproportionate amount yes. of pressure on the shelter because yes. I can remember like, God, there was this one, he was a pointer lab mix named Freddie. Uh, oh. And we, uh, he was in the shelter at the time that we were piloting our nose work program for working with high arousal dogs. And he ended up going out into a bed bug detection field. And it wasn't so much that we needed his kennel space. Like we had hundreds right. of kennels in that shelter. Right. And it wasn't that we had so many Freddies that we needed to, you know, constantly yeah. work with these working dog organizations, but getting him out alleviated like an hour of staff time a day on the behavior team because these particular dogs are so hard to keep in the shelter yes. system. I mean, we're talking specifically about the sorts of dogs that are just consistently failing in the shelter yep. system and do really poorly. Exactly. No, that is, that is totally correct. Um, and I, I think I may have mentioned I, I'm a certified animal control officer too. So, um, while I didn't have a specific shelter I worked in, in that role, um, you know, they're obviously working with humane societies and shelters in the area. So mm-hmm. you know, got, got to do that, that life a yeah. little bit too, for sure. And yes, that's exactly it. It's, you know, thinking of, okay, now we have Max down the row, who is this, <laughs> One-year-old, you know, Malinois who is spinning and barking and just FOMO, mm-hmm. you know, out the wazoo. Um, and instead of it be him, like, kind of, you know, amping everybody else up, you know, right. and then <laughs> requiring Lord. all that time and, mm-hmm. and energy, you know, it's it exactly like you said, it might not necessarily be for the space, but it's it's kind of the the feel of that row, the feel of the shelter itself. Right. Um, no, that's a huge component of it because mm-hmm. it just takes one, one dog yeah. in a row of kennels <laughs> <laughs> to get everyone Ooh. else spun up. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. The, yep. the times that we would have like a, 
like some husky that would start a howl and then it would just be like four hours of <laughs> you cannot get 35 dogs to shut up because there's one husky uh, oh my gosh yeah <laughs> we keep mm-hmm. picking on the breeds but you know i i know breed stereotypes okay. exist for a reason i have um, i have finished spits they're kind of like huskies i can i can ooh, speak on yeah. them we're good <laughs> hella cute too um, so cute so okay so what are some of the things that people are seeing in these dogs that make you think, okay, SDF needs to be looking at these dogs. Cause I imagine it may start with, you know, just the label of high energy or a specific breed type or whatever, but what are you, what are you looking for in order to determine if this dog is worth a longer conversation and what are the, you know, both the green flags and the red flags, you know, because I know also for you, and one of the reasons I respect your program so much is it's not just that you're taking the worst, most difficult cases and figuring out how to make them into working dogs. You're also screening them really carefully for a lot of other, a lot of other things. Yeah, absolutely. So, so really it's, it's like most other, you know, types of detection work, um, in terms of thinking about what they're going to need to deal with on the job itself, uh, and what that looks like. And, you know, for, for a disaster search dog, and, and I think, you know, most of your, your listeners are probably very dog savvy people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll kind of go into dive in a little bit deeper just to make sure, uh, my explanations make sense. Um, so, you know, when we're thinking of disaster search response, we're thinking of the collapsed building, um, the earthquake, the hurricane, the flood, um, you know, you name it, the man-made or natural disaster. And, in that type of environment, as we can imagine, and some might know from experience, you know, it is complete and utter chaos, right? So Mm -hmm. there are not only, you know, teams with their dogs, but there is, you know, teams with excavation equipment and sonar radar, potentially, um, boats and helicopters and quads. And, you know, it's kind of, you name it, it could be there. Um, the other aspect of this too is also what is left behind in the midst of a disaster. So obviously the, the, you know, thing we think about is, is the, the collapsed, whatever itself, the rubble, um, the debris, but there's also other things that we don't necessarily think of such as, you know, obviously potential onlookers, um, victims that may not be hidden, so don't require a search dog to find them, but they're still there. Um, they're going to be distressed. They could be injured. Um, you know, they could be very injured. Um, you know, children, people of all ages and sizes. Um, you can also then have stray animals, stray dogs, stray cats, uh, chickens, livestock, you know, the list goes on. And then also you can have trash. You can have, you know, all sorts of stuff. So in thinking of what these guys are going to have to face, and also they're going to have to come out of the box ready to search after potentially traveling for hours upon hours um, Mm -hmm. in who knows exactly what mode of transportation. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really about taking all of that into consideration and coming up with those traits and characteristics that are going to, to, kind of set these guys on the path for success in that type of setting. So yeah, the high energy is, you know, kind of number one. And uh, there are many, many, many high energy type dogs um, in this world, as we know, uh, 
to varying degrees. And then, you know, really after that, in terms of other personality traits, um, we look for, well, we think of an age range. So for us in particular, we have our age range is approximately one to two years old. Mm-hmm. The reason being, um, when our dogs are in training for their search, uh, the rubble is our, you know, one of the main places we do that work on, um, on our site, we're fortunate to have multiple rubble piles to choose from of varying levels of difficulty and other types of props, um, that simulate other disaster settings. So, you know, we need to make sure that the dogs in training are old enough. So physically they can handle those potential challenges, Um, and also, you know, mentally, um, we kind of know the type of dog we're getting. They're sort of done growing, uh, in terms of mental state and also in terms of physical state. Um, and they're also then young enough once they graduate at maybe two or three years old to then take the additional half year to a year to certify with their Mm -hmm. handler, um, and, and become, you know, deployment ready with that particular handler. So the age range is pretty big for us. Um, there are occasions a younger than a year dog might work. Uh, it just really depends on a lot of factors. Um, and we don't, you know, we always want to look at every case, um, you know, kind of individually because all dogs are individuals anyway. So it kind of works out. Of course, yeah. Um, You know, and so after that age, we think of um, breed. For us, uh, there are six main breeds that we focus on. um, And that's because these breeds have historically shown to to kind of have a lot of traits um Uh that make a good disaster search dog so for us it's labs and goldens um australian shepherds and border collies and then malinois and uh well dutch shepherds and then german shepherds so i guess seven technically (laughs) um and we also you know do mixes of those breeds as well um so it doesn't have to be a purebred dog uh to be in our program we also Uh will do mixes too so those two, the age and, and the breed, um, are kind of like a, a perfect starting point. Um, yeah. And that's, I like that as a starting point as well, because that's the sort of thing that you can really easily get from that initial mm-hmm. pet finder posting that initial, like that information is yep. almost always going to be there versus exactly. some of these other screening questions that I'm sure we're about to get to where it starts oh, yeah. getting to be a little bit trickier to define drive and arousal and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. so yeah what are okay so we've got okay we've got a dog that's high energy it's kind of the yep. right breed or breed mix it's the right age now what yep. are we thinking all right so now we're gonna think about uh, reactions to strange people and strange dogs um, I think based on what I've kind of said about a disaster type setting. I think we can all sort of see where this one's going. Mm -hmm. Um, So our dogs have to be people friendly. They just have to. Now, they could be a type of dog that isn't like a, I will crawl into your skin, cuddle me forever (laughs) type of creature. Um, But they have to enjoy being around people. They have to enjoy engaging with people. Um, And, you know, they can't be afraid of of people. even little kids, you know, we need to make sure, you know, there's a yeah. chance they may not have been exposed and that's okay. Um, it's, it's not unusual. Um, but you know, we do need them to be fine with kids as well because there will be the potential for children to be victims that they're searching out. Um, 
And, you know, in their homes with their handlers, the handler might have kids, you know, and we always want right. to make sure that these guys are going to be safe um, and happy around children. Um, so, you know, the, the, the people friendliness is huge. Another mm -hmm. place that this really comes in, um, you know, into play is in our training program itself. So obviously there are one person type of dogs. Um, I mm -hmm. have some of them, you know, um, <laughs> they're like kind of more like whatever towards others, but we'll happily take food from anybody <laughs> and do all the tricks. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, if I'm leaving the room, they're coming with me, even if I'm not asking them to. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, but the idea of them readily being able to engage and be willing to engage with a stranger is huge. Yeah. In our program, um, we have a kennel type setup. So while they're in training with us, um, they get out obviously a ton during the day or we'd have a whole kennel of FOMO dogs. Oh um, boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty wicked. Uh, so luckily we're good on that. Um, but they have to be able to be handled by anybody that comes to their kennel or crates, depending on if they're in the vehicle or, or in their kennel itself. So what that means is the person they've never met, um, a potential handler candidate, um, you know, a new trainer coming in to, to work with us or whatever the case may be, they need to be just fine with them coming up to their kennel, leashing them up um, without it having to be a, a kind of production. Um, mm -hmm. Again, dogs are dogs and things happen, which is why we're fortunate to have a fabulous, um, you know, behavior team that, that is on site as well. Um, but the ideal is that anybody could go up to that dog's kennel, get them out. And then obviously what, and they're happy about that and fine. Then obviously once you show them the toy, they go, Oh yes, let's go. I'm ready. You know? Yeah. Um, the other reason this is important is, you know, anything could happen out on a deployment. Um, we want to make sure that our dogs will potentially work with anybody because sure. you just never know. You never know. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, you know, the people side <laughs> friendly <Yeah. laughs> is, yep. is kind of where it's at. Um, now with the dog side. So we say friendly with dogs, um, but we do have our fair share of, of friends that you know, they're more interested in engaging with their people. They just want to sure. play the game yeah. with the toy. Um, you know, they're fine around dogs. That's kind of the most important thing. They're not overtly reactive, fearful, aggressive. Uh, they just might not want to do like social hour with a bunch of dogs. Yeah. And that's totally cool. Um, obviously, they're on a team with dogs. So they have to be fine, um, you know, in transport with other dogs and working around them. Mm -hmm. Um in training, but then also, again, like I mentioned on a deployment, they could have now dogs that aren't on their team that they're not used right. to. Suddenly they're working right alongside them and they need to be okay with that. And obviously I mentioned the potential for loose or stray animals. Um, mm -hmm. It happens and it's, it's a real thing and we need them to really just not worry about it. Um, you know, and and kind of do their job and not worry about another yeah. dog that might be around them, uh, which hopefully that dog would be okay too. But, you know, right. loose gray dogs, oh, yeah, in a disaster yeah, hard is to say. definitely, definitely uh, very tricky. But, um, but you know, it kind yeah, of... so it sounds like potentially, say I had a, well, okay, let's actually, let's pick on Barley just because we, we right, talk him up go. all the time. So he's, he's my eight and a half year old working Border Collie. Um, 
he's very neutral with other dogs. He's never started a fight and he's never finished a fight. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, he, you know, like most dogs um, who live with uh, imperfect handlers, he has been <laughs> in scuffles. Um, <laughs> but his one thing is... He, if you try to take a bone or food away from him, he would, he struggles with that with other dogs. Okay. Is that the sort of thing, you know, he's not going to like do the canine equivalent of pulling a knife out and running across yeah. the room to stab someone, but he Which will, good. you know, yeah. He'll say something. Yeah. He, like if you try yeah. to take something out of his mouth, especially as a dog, um, yeah. he would argue with you over that. Um, right. Is that not the please. sort of thing that, yeah, that's, that's fine. You know, we can manage that. We were professionals or is that the sort of thing where even that level of like resource guarding would be concerning? Yeah. So great question. Um, with resource guarding, the way we kind of, kind of frame it is, Resource guarding of any kind from a human? No, no, no bueno, no <laughs> dice. Um, now, resource guarding um, from a dog in terms of kind of more natural communication, like, <laughs> no, I don't really want you to take this from me. Thanks. Um, that's okay. <laughs> um, and obviously, the reason being, we can really manage that a lot better uh, yeah. than, you know, a person because it's just life. There are going to be people everywhere potentially mm -hmm. trying to, you know, get the dog to out a toy or whatever the case may be feeding on deployment, you know, could be wherever, whatever, you know, so sure. we mm -hmm. always need to make sure that, um, that these guys are, are, are okay with that. Um, but kind of that natural communication with another dog of being like, no, thanks. Not going to happen. That's okay. Um, okay. Kind cool. of where we would end up drawing a line. Uh, and obviously every dog's an individual mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. case by case. So I will qualify with that. Um, but, you know, where we would draw the line is if there have been, you know, bites, you know, drawn blood bites sure. um, on record. Um, and that kind of goes just with our all-encompassing, we cannot accept dogs with a bite record anyway mm -hmm. towards yep. another person or animal um obviously missing a toy and get, getting your hand on accident sure. different story you know that's that's okay or we had one one poor poor pup who uh, poor guy he went to he didn't end up having i think maybe his hunt drive wasn't as strong which you know we'll get into yeah. um but uh so there's another reason it didn't it didn't work out for us um but I think he, he went to meet someone at the shelter and he just like headbutted them out of pure joy and joyness. Oh, no. And, and it was like, there was a, like, it was like, she bit her lip almost the person because yeah. it came right under the, so it's like, there is like an incident on record type of deal. And you're like, okay, but let's unpack this and sure. let's kind of see what this looks like to make sure it was like totally accidental the dog meant nothing by it you know and in this case that's kind of the conclusion we all came to mm -hmm. based on other behavior notes um and other observations of that dog um, totally yeah so, i mean thinking back to my shelter time like we had a couple dogs who ended up and unfortunately when we, we were in in colorado 10-day bike quarantines happen no matter mm -hmm. what the intention was. But right. yeah, we had a couple dogs that just missed a tug toy. Um, usually it was our fault for presenting it in a way right. that exactly. it with an <laughs> untrained dog who doesn't have a good strike, you know, like, right. I mean, this was yes. well before I worked with working dogs. So my toy skills are a lot yeah. better now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, sure. uh, and then the other, and I, I wonder, cause so these are, this is where like your job and my job are a little bit different. Cause I, you know, within the conservation dog realm, I think we're broadly okay with dogs that are dog reactive. 
-hmm. broadly speaking that's not a huge issue for us like leash reactivity is just unless you're doing like zebra muscle work or like a lot of outreach work work it doesn't have to be a problem for you like out on the wind farms or whatever like it's just not a big deal um kind of varies a little bit from handler to handler um and then I can see potentially some bite situations that we may be okay with that you wouldn't. I mean, for example, yeah. some of us are totally fine with dogs that just hate kits. Like that's just not a big yeah. deal for us. Cause as long as you have it a different dog yeah. to do demos with or, or you don't want to do demos at all. But then the right. other one that I can kind of imagine, um, I'll just make up a case. Just, uh, well, I'll, I'll take a real case and then add some fake things. <laughs> uh, so okay. back when I worked at the shelter, um, we had one dog who was in the BMOD program, the behavior modification program, because um, he would growl when he was being handled. He had a lot of handling mm-hmm. sensitivities. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there's two different dogs, so I'll bring both of them in. Sure. Ultimately, it turned out one of the dogs had a horrific dental infection, Aww, and he had yeah. bitten the groomer. Um, at some point when her fingers were in his mouth, trying yeah. to, she, or I think she was trying to trim around his beard or something like that. Okay. And he bit, um, and then the other dog had not bitten yet, but ultimately what we discovered was he had a dew claw that had grown all the way around and back through his pad. Got it. So mm-hmm. those are dogs where if they had bite records and all, checked all the other boxes, I would probably take those on. Are those mm-hmm. a no-go for SDF and you would probably send them on to someone else or? They would, they would, unfortunately, they would probably be a no-go. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, very individual cases totally. um, for sure, which is fine. Um, but I, as a, as a broad stroke, my gut reaction would be to say probably not for yeah. us. Um which again is a shame. And actually mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's cool that you bring up, you know, groomers. Cause one of the questions that, you know, we always ask is how are they for veterinary handling and grooming? Yeah. Sometimes the answer is we don't know and we won't totally. really get to know, especially with grooming. It just might not really be a thing, which is fine. Yeah. Neither um, of my dogs have actually ever been to the groomer. They're fine with yeah, me grooming them, but right. I don't know if that actually answers that. That, that doesn't answer the same question. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, in terms of veterinary care, you know, we do want to know how that goes. And most of the time there will be some, you know, vet care happening <laughs> of some kind, even if it's just, you know, you know, routine shots or, or routine visits. Um, and, you know, we always want to know that because another aspect of this is, uh, you know, these guys are out and about, they could get injured on a rubble pile and suddenly they're being carried and hoisted and bandaged and looked at and blah, blah, blah. So we really need to, to try to kind of err on the side of they're going to be okay with that. Now the caveat, um, all of our dogs are muzzle trained. Uh, part of the gear for our deployments includes a muzzle for every dog. Mm -hmm. So if there is an incident, um, that muzzle goes right on, uh, just to, to make sure everybody is safe anyway. Totally. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, we practice all that while they're in training with us as well. Um, and then cooperative care in general, it's just, it's not just for those dogs that need it. It's for all of our dogs. We always want to make sure that they're as comfortable as possible. Um, you know, in our care, in a veterinary sense. Um, and then obviously once they go home with their handlers, even if it's not our handlers, um, as search dog foundation, uh, you know, trying to make sure that they're comfortable is great. The other cool thing about it too, is by doing all of that work on the front end and, you know, being really kind of proactive about it. Um, 
we can pass all that info on to any new owner, be it a handler or another organization um, or an individual that adopts mm-hmm. one of our one of our lifetime care dogs. So it's you know the more the merrier for us in terms mm-hmm. of information anyway. Um, and you know we we definitely like to to make sure that it's. If it's a thing, let's work on it. If it's not a thing, cool. We'll continue to make it not a thing <laughs> type of deal. Um, and our guys get seen, you know, once a month, um, not including any other specific things they might need, like x-rays or, you know, spay neuter, um, you know, or anything else that comes up that they might mm-hmm. need medical attention on. Um, so they're around it a ton. So, yeah, it's just worth it to work on it from the get-go for our totally. guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So kind of going back. So we've got our energy yes. level, we've got our age, we've got our breed, we've got our reactions to strange people and dogs. It's all yeah. of this information you're trying to get from, uh, we'll just call them the source <laughs> uh, yes. from now on. Is that all that Love information it. that you're trying to get from the source kind of before even bothering to get video on the Absolutely. dog? Absolutely. What else, yes. what else would fall into that? Like, okay, before we bother trying to do an assessment, before we bother you know, breaking out the video cameras, what else do we need to know? Yeah. So we always would ask then, uh, I try to leave it (laughs) open-ended. So I kind of try and say, you know, what, uh, well, does the dog like toys as an open-ended? That's a yes or no. But then after the fact is Mm -hmm. what do they do with toys? Explain it to me. If you let them in a yard with a tennis ball, what does this look like? You let them in the yard with a stuffed toy. What does this look like? Um, I want to kind of get the idea um, of what their drive might be before we see video, obviously to hopefully save time. (laughs) So we're not pursuing, you know, a dog that has zero interest in toy. Um, But it's also to, to kind of get that idea for um, how we might need to adapt a screening potentially. So an example of that would be, you know, we've got plenty of dogs that if you throw something, they're chasing it, you know, activating that prey drive, but then what happens, right? So does the dog actually pick up the item? Do they pick it up and then retrieve it back to you? Um, Do they just want to hold it in their mouths and walk around happily? Like, so that will dictate potentially um, some of the instruction for uh, the video screenings that we want to see. Obviously, if we have a dog that Sounds like they love the toy. They love to possess. They want to hold on to it either mentally or physically in their mouths or between their paws while they're laying down or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But they don't have that natural retrieve. How can we work this? How can I better instruct um, an organization or individual to, to kind of go through this video process with them? Um, the natural answer for that uh, is is a two toy, which I think most of your listeners will know what that means. But uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, using a second toy, um, ideally the same toy that they love. You know, yeah. have a copy or two or three or four potentially, um, <laughs> and you know, really entice them to bring the initial one back to you as close as possible. You know, we're sure, not. Yeah. They don't have to bring it to your hand. Like, it doesn't have to be this beautiful, crazy retrieve. We'll build that eventually. <laughs> we don't right. need to worry about yeah. that yet. <laughs> um, but it's just that natural, okay, you know, you've kind of activated that, that prey chase drive by the initial throw. And then do you still have interest or do you just keep moving? Right. And I think by asking an organization or individual to 
kind of describe what their their interactions with toys looks like, it can help a little bit to to already say maybe a, a all right, let's proceed or a flat out mm, probably not <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of a lot of times, uh, this this is the part that is challenging um, for organizations to kind of start with because when they're getting in an animal as a stray owner surrender or whatever the case may be, you know, if they don't know that the dog loves toys, they might not know that they, they might not right. ever know that. So it becomes this idea of it's either just flat exposure, right? Just trying them. Um, but again, how would someone know to do that? Um, or it's taking someone's word for it, an owner, whatever, the, you know, if someone maybe picked them up as a stray and noticed they picked up a toy, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, um, they could maybe relay that info. Um, so, so that is kind of, kind of the, the point where we really start to, to kind of dive into this. And obviously once we've gotten those other things we've talked about sort of out of the way, <laughs> um, we know yeah. temperamentally they're, they're sound. Um, another piece of that, which we didn't quite touch on, but I will sort of later on is this environmental piece, right? Being environmentally yeah. sound. Um, once we've kind of gone through those, those questions and, and, and flushed some of that out, then we can really start to just delve into this toy stuff and, and really yeah. know what that means. One of the things that we, you know, we say toy drive, but we all know in the dog world drive means something different to everybody. It's, mm -hmm. you know, what you see as high drive might not be what I see as high drive might not be what, you know, a friend of mine who's also a dog trainer sees his high drive. So, so it's, it's so, you know, subjective. We really like to just kind of have the proof is in the exercise. So yeah. once we've established maybe how this dog might like to interact with toys, if they like to interact with toys in the first place, then we can start to think about, okay, all right, how can we start to assess them? How yeah. can we help let them know, um, you know, what to do? Um, it's not that we don't want to explain the whys because we do because they're important. Um, but when staff and resource and time, time is a resource, right? Um, and money, all of the things are so limited and potentially stretched. Um, you know, we're all just kind of about, all right, let's just look at it, look at it for what yeah. it is. Um, replicate these steps, uh, in this order, in this fashion, send a video and let's kind of go from there. Um, so our first video, uh, and I don't know if you want me to get into specific videos or specific Yeah, things. let's do that. I did have, I guess, do you do, before video, do mm -hmm. you do any questioning as far as medical history? Is it kind of a broad, like, mm -hmm. hey, is there anything we need to know medically? And then you deal with anything else later? Or like, do you ask for like full hip x-rays before you even bother? Yeah, great. See, look, you're you're keeping me in line. All right, so medical, <laughs> yes. So again, broad stroke um, is that the dog has to be healthy. Okay, so yeah. um, you know, basically, they've physically they have to be fine. They have to be, you know, most of them are going to be high energy, and well, they're all high energy, so they're going to be pretty athletic anyway, potentially. <laughs> hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully, we've had, you know, it happens. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, Barley, um, Barley was 65 pounds when I got him. He's now 45. Oh, that's um, a big border collie. Yeah. He was okay. he was a chonker. I think that's... they were using food. <laughs> well, he's he's also a consummate trash goblin. So like it got may it. not have been his owner's fault.
fault, but they also may have Got just it. been keeping him chunky to slow him down, which I completely yeah. appreciate and have Gosh. considered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like just like five pounds, make it run yeah. a little slower. <laughs> yeah, Let I me love winter up. weight barley and just that like ten percent less energy. It's so oh my nice. Gosh. So that's so funny. Anyway. I love it. Um, yeah. So so yeah, they might not be super athletic looking. Um, sure. But you know the idea of yes, they they can run without you know they don't come up lame after doing yeah. a little bit of stuff. Um, and obviously in terms of you know uh, basic stuff, we got to make sure um, you know we got to know the heartworm status. Uh, mm-hmm. What does this look like here? Um, um, you know, tick-borne stuff, we got to know, is there a potential? Um, mm-hmm. We kind of, you know, our, our, again, our broad stroke is no, no, there can be no medical issues um, whatsoever. Um, there are some things, you know, allergies. Well, what does that look like? You know, can, sure. is this something yeah. we can kind of deal with? Is it, yeah. they need to be on like, you know, bison instead of chicken like what you know what is this look like right so, yeah yeah because that those can mean are so things, many things yes exactly those are things we can work with now a huge full-blown environmental allergy like everywhere yeah. maybe not um the best choice for this type of work just because yeah, who knows where in the world they're going to end up. So um, you never want a dog coming out off a plane and all of a sudden, like, be, you know, after Blowing working up. for a couple hours, having a problem. Um, totally. And, you know, again, things might not be known beforehand. We yeah. totally get it. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty much healthy. We don't require x-rays um, from a dog from a shelter or rescue uh, right off the bat. Now, there have been times where we have transported from Maine. <laughs> To Southern California. So that's a pretty long, long journey and long excursion. So there have been times where we have, um, and we've, we've covered this cost. Um, we have asked for x-rays ahead of time just to make right. sure everything looks good. Uh, you know, before we put a dog on a plane or, or, you know, a huge ground transport excursion, uh, you know, to come out to site. So, Again, a little bit individual for that, but we never would would make um, a shelter or rescue pay for that. Okay. Um, that's something that we can cover. Uh, and that really comes after all of the screening videos have been completed. And we say, yes, we are super interested in this candidate. Okay. We would love to bring them out. And then as, an, uh, you know, kind of in addition to our normal medical stuff, you know, health cert, crossing state lines, got to have that, um, mm-hmm. you know, basic vaccination info, fecal, 4DX, um, heartworm testing, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, really the basics uh, are kind of what we require. And then, like I said, maybe x-rays might come before they get out to us or they might just come afterwards um, when okay. they're out and they've kind of proven that performance wise, uh, you know, they're going to be a strong candidate for our program. Yeah. And it's worth putting the expense in. So exactly. yeah, I can imagine I've seen, um, you know, I've seen videos up on like rescues to the rescue or like adoptable sport and performance dogs and, you know, all these Facebook yeah. groups that we both spend a lot of time in. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I've seen something where I've been like, ah, that dog's back looks a little weird or like their rear end moves in a weird way. And like, so in those cases you might, or, or if it's a huge geographic distance, you might bother, but otherwise it's kind of like, yeah, we're going to see how they do in the first initial bits of training. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, just to, it's, again, it's, our goal is to make, um, the organization or individuals job a little easier. We, we, 
fully understand and recognize that we do require a lot. You know, we just do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the nature of our program. It's the nature of the dogs that, that we need to, to find. Um, but that being said, you know, we always do try to, to make it a little bit less <laughs> whenever possible, uh, for sure. Because we understand it's a lot of time uh, and yeah, energy. Yeah, that makes sense. Listen, you and your dog are already canine conservationists by listening to the show, so go ahead and show it off. Join the club. Check out our brand new merch store, which is located at canineconservationists.org shop. It's stocked with stickers and magnets and bags and shirts. We're adding new designs all the time. If you're an artist wanting to collaborate, just we split profits and are eager to hear from you. Reach out at canineconservationists at gmail.com. We also offer all of our webinars on demand through our store. So you can check out our puppy raising webinar, alerts and changes of behavior, introducing a target odor, as well as seeking sourcing and alerting. We're also planning to add new webinars to this all the time. So if you've got a request for a webinar or you're a practitioner hoping to contribute a webinar, again, we're going to split our profits with you and you can reach out to us at canineconservationists at gmail.com. Let's keep the learning going. Okay, so now mm-hmm. now we can go into the videos. What all are right. some of, Yeah. So what are what do we solicit as awesome. like our first video? Like all right, first bit of homework. Yeah. What do we want to see out of our dog? All right. So kind of the initial video. So these are going to be the ones that uh, you know, the first three on our listing um, are going to be a dog reaction, a stranger reaction, and retrieves and possession. So I'll kind of one by one pick them apart. Um, quickly, but still picking them apart appropriately. (laughs) So, uh, so dog reaction. So for this, it's really all about, um, just their initial reaction to a strange neutral dog. Neutral is the caveat. (laughs) We don't need a dog screaming at this friend (laughs) to try to assess them. Um, and we just want to see what that looks like. It's done on leash. Um, you know, it can be done in a couple ways. It could be either like, think you're your canine good citizen test. So the little dog dog walk by without the sit and handshake in the middle, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. a thing, um, just a straight pass by, um, at, you know, a good six to eight foot distance, 10, even we don't, we don't care. They don't need to say hi. Um, unless someone wants them to really badly. Um, or it can be just a parallel walk, you know, up down a parking lot, you know, uh, between two yards, I don't care. Um, uh-huh. It's just a matter of, again, that initial reaction to a strange but neutral dog. Um, obviously, we have some dogs that are really into other dogs and really want to say hi. But again, it's that idea of, of just being able to, to see that clear body language difference between, I'm really pumped and you're a dog, to like, I'm going to get you before you come get me. Okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I think we, uh, we, we kind of all kind of know what that looks like <laughs> so, yeah, kind of. <laughs> to a degree, there's, there's degrees, you know, um, but it's, it, it's pretty rare that we would need to ask for multiple videos with yeah. that type of exercise. We do have some people that, you know, the dog does great in play groups and you know, all that. And we enjoy that footage as well. The more the merrier. Um, but the, the on leash reaction that, that piece, yeah. the on leash piece is, it's just huge for us. Again, I mentioned, you know, we have a kennel type environment for training. Um, even on a deployment, you know, these, these guys are working out of their, out of their crates on vehicles mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so, you know, there can't be, you know, barrier fresh, you know, we get it. FOMOs is real. We get it. Um, sure. but you know, there can't be that barrier aggression, super frustration while people are working and dogs are working. So, you know, we kind of have to really find that, um, 
that dog that's either just going to be friendly or again, just kind of ignore <laughs> or a little bit in between <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, so in terms of a stranger reaction, uh, the best way that we uh, do this is getting the dog out of their kennel. That's it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, so we have a stranger. We, we kind of, we, we have like a soft require of a stranger because we do understand, especially the past couple of years that, right. you know, it's sometimes challenging to get a strange stranger, um, into your, you know, your shelter, just depending on COVID protocols and what's mm -hmm. going on. Um, so even if it's just someone that they've, you know, interacted with like once or, you know, but yeah. we really, we love, we love a stranger, love it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's again, this idea of they can walk up to the dog's kennel or crate, you know, if they're in a crate, whatever, it doesn't sure. matter. Yeah. Um, and that would be kind of maybe your rescue or like a dog in a foster home. Um, you know, going up to a crate, going up to, I've had people do cars. Like they just have the dog in the car. Person goes to the car, opens the door, gets the dog out. You know, we just yeah. want to see that there's no problem. Um, even if the dog isn't, again, I'm going to crawl into your skin friendly. That's okay. We just need to see if there's no issue, um, with that happening. Um, so after those, then we have our retrieves in possession. Um, and I, I mean, I am, I am a believer that this test really can show a lot. Uh, yeah. about a dog and their, their desire to play with toys. Um, so this one is twofold. Um, obviously retrieves, we, we all know what that means. So a little fetch game. Uh, and this is where that idea of, um, you know, is it a no take only throw type of dog? What does this look <laughs> like? Um, what is their natural inclination? Um, you know, we do need the dog to do more than just chase it out. <laughs> we need them to like yeah. pick it up at least a little bit, <laughs> even yeah. if they drop it halfway back, you know, it's okay. Um, sure. So, you know, whatever kind of means to get them to come back, uh, to either spit that initial toy back out at you for, for it to be thrown again, or to use a second like toy, um, to get them to drop the first. So you can mm -hmm. throw that second toy, uh, kind of whatever means necessary for that. So after four or five throws, uh, so full up and back, you know, this dog, we want to see them run. We want to see them chase. We want to see that, that intensity and also that kind of, you know, fire that ignites when the toy comes into yeah. view for the first time, right? Like we oh want to see all, right. We want to see all of that. Um, and after you've done the retrieves portion, then obviously the possession is next. And for that, it would be so on your fifth throw, um, or sixth throw, if you lose count, like I do all the time. Um, I don't know why it's so hard to count to five, but it really, Impossible. really is challenging when you're yeah. trying to play fetch with a dog. It's, mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. Because you stare at them. You're like, wow, you're so beautiful. So Wait, what number am I in? Yeah. <laughs> huh? Who are you? Um, so on whatever throw you're on, five or six, you know, whatever, um, you're going to throw that toy out one more time. And you basically then ignore the dog for a full minute. Everybody in the vicinity ignores the dog. Um, there should be no other toys on the ground. Uh, you know, they should just be able to do what they want with that toy that was just thrown. Um, what we want to see is that they maintain some sort of possession, either mental. So say they're the type of dog that, you know, brings it back towards you, drops it, and is just staring at it, staring at you, staring at it, st you know, trying to will it to move, whether it moves on its own or you throw it. Are you describing my border I am. I am. Hey, you forget I have one too. <laughs> so yes, I am describing them. They're willing it to move. Um, uh -huh, uh -huh. 
they might be barking in the process or sure. screaming at you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we love that too. Um, they might also, <laughs> you know, decide they just want to take it in the little mouths and carry it around and parade with it. We yeah. like that. We like them laying down with it, either in between their paws on the ground, in their mouth, um, and all sorts of various combinations. You know, we've had dogs that, uh, shocker of all shockers, one that I can think of right off the bat who was hilarious was a Labrador. Wow, I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just like, this is the best day of my whole life, and you got me a ball, and I'm going to go to every single person who is in this vicinity and I'm going to jump at you so hard that it almost knocks you over, but the (laughs) ball's still in my mouth. Please, can you play with it? Please, Please. can we do it? Please, for the love of God. Like, literally begging. Like, please. And, like, like just nonstop. Like, this is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We love that, too. You know, so it's possession can take all forms, as you know. And so it's really, you know, we can work with any of them. So we just want to see that they need the toy in some capacity. They need it. It's not just, all right, I chased it out. Okay. I'm going to go over here now, (laughs) you know, and sniff something else on the ground. The other cool caveat to this test, this is the only one that we full on require as as much as we can require it, but we full on require that it takes place in a new location to the dog. The reason being is that aha moment when the toy gets pulled out, we want to see that we want to see that reaction. We just want to see them go, Oh, we're going to play. Oh my gosh, it's happening. This is the best. Right. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, dogs do different things in different locations. They're at home. They're going to act differently than maybe Mm -hmm. when they're out and about. Um, we want the dog that kind of acts the same no matter where they are. Um, and especially in relation to their toy play, yeah. uh, and possessiveness. We just want to see that it, it is there. It is, it is high, you know, mm-hmm. of utmost importance to this dog that they get their toy. Um, and you know what we've done in the past, uh, a lot of people will do, you know, kind of long line in a field, you know, stick mm-hmm. that line on a harness, kind of whatever works for them. Um, we've also, you know, it can be indoors. We don't care. It's just a matter of, do you have a conference room? Has the dog been in the conference room before? You know, what yeah. does this look like? Um, Cause we, you know, we've even had um, some, I think they were in more quiet kennel rows, I hope. Cause it seemed not too bad, but we've had them in kennel rows, you know, like with dogs, like watching, <laughs> you know, and we're like, all right, hey, they're doing the thing. They're not, they don't care about the dogs. The dogs, you know, some of them would care, but, but you know, um, and it's all, they're just all about that toy. Even in the possession part, they're not dropping it to say hi. They are waiting for the next yeah. throw, waiting for the engagement from the handler to make the toy move. Um, and, you know, in that regard, we, we do feel that it's, it's so important to capture that in a new location mm-hmm. uh, because that is their reality. When they get on a, on a, you know, deployment site, um, they're, they're getting the toy. We need them to want it no matter what. AM, PM, night, day, they're like, yes, let's go. So that's, you know, that's why I I love that test. Um, And I think, you know, putting it in that package with the initial dog and, and stranger reaction really gives us this nice kind of full breadth of, of, the dog that we're going to continue working with and screening. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of our, like, those are like the big three. <laughs> um, now I'll, I'll, I'll keep going into more. So, yeah. this is, you know, great. Um, so 
after we get through those three, and there are some times, depending on, you know, kind of if there's been any more footage on the dog, say a shelter or rescue has already posted some footage of the dog on social media and we get to see them already, you know, retrieving or whatever the case may be. Um, if there it already seems like there's a, a pretty strong chance that those first three tests are going to be no problem. Um, then we might actually send kind of the full list of all of the things we need to see. It really okay. just kind of depends. Um, but those first three are the are the main initial ones. So then the next ones we go to um, are going to be our field hunt, uh, which is uh -huh. you know the the epitome of uh, detection ing, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we want to see that. Uh, obviously, not only do they have a prey drive and they have possessiveness of a toy, but that when that goes away visually, the dog still wants to find it. Um, we want to see that they know to turn on that nose immediately uh, to look for it in that way. Um, and we kind of want to see, too, to a degree, that they don't really care what's what's in their path. Uh, they're yeah. just going to go for it. They're like, no, 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 this is my task. This is my focus. Um, yeah. Now, for this one, uh, obviously, an open, like, a field of tall grass is, like, the epitome of greatness. Field hunt, field, tall grass, perfect, mm -hmm. you know. Um, however, we fully recognize that is not possible or probable <laughs> for some places and, and organizations. Yeah. Uh -huh. So... We get it, um, you know, throughout any of these tests, safety of dog and people anywhere nearby is, is our number one priority. So I mentioned for the retrieves and possession, long lines, love them, perfection. Mm -hmm. um, harnesses are cool too, so there's not an accidental snag on a long line, right? Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, no bueno clotheslining yourself, friend. Um, so we always want to make sure that whatever happens, whatever we're trying to test, um, everybody is safe. Um, so thinking of, of more about this setup. So, all right, you've got your dog, you've got maybe a long line, uh, you've got a beautiful field. Um, so all of those things are in place and we love them. So what if you don't have all of those? We have a lot of, uh, well, we know there are a lot of shelters. There are a lot of rescues, um, organizations that are centered around big cities. You know, they're, uh -huh. they're totally urban. There's just nowhere to go. If you take them to a park, there's going to be like 30 other dogs around, you know, and not to say that we need it to be completely isolated and sterile. Um, but you know, we want to set them up to really succeed and to kind of mm -hmm. see what they can do. Um, you know, without the need for too many distractions, the environment itself is a distraction enough. You know, we don't need dogs right. and people and potential other toys being thrown around or played with um, right. to kind of yeah. mess with that. Right. That'll come later. <laughs> we'll mm -hmm. get that going later on. Yeah. Um, so, so really what we, what we aim to do, and this is when this kind of relationship building with an organization really comes into play because if we know they're in an area that is concrete, frankly, is concrete, maybe uh -huh. some artificial turf, you know, how in the world are we going to do a field hunt? What is this going to look like? So what we've been able to, to do is give these, these organizations and individuals, um, the option to do a, like, it's a field hunt. We call it a field hunt, but it's more uh -huh. like a stuff. It's like a stuff hunt. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, what yeah. that looks like is really just whatever space you've got, be it indoor, like conference room setting, 
play yard, kind of whatever. Um, you know, we just have people scatter stuff around. Now it does require a good amount of stuff. You know, we don't want to have one object out there and the dog's going to be like, well, it's obviously behind that object, you know? Right. Um, we want to, we want to make it so visually it's too confusing for the dog to track. Right. So once mm-hmm. that toy is thrown, um, or thrown and kind of lightly placed, I'll go into those specifics later on. Um, we want to make sure that it's going to be, there's going to be enough stuff in the way that the dog isn't going to be able to do that. And she's like, ah, well, yeah, the obvious option is behind this, right. whatever. Okay. <laughs> um, so we're talking a good amount of things, but you can do things like very kennels, um, baby mm-hmm. pools, upside down or right side up. I don't really care. Um, other random objects, pallets, if you've got them, um, there, there's so many, it's literally grab random things and yeah. just put them out fold up some tables, you know, like put them out. So it's safe ish, you know, slippery table, but still safe ish. Um, you have some chairs out there, like go nuts, go to town. Um, and then what we want to do, um, is, is, you know, make sure that, uh, we've got the amount of the right amount of people to help with this test. This particular one is, uh, it's pretty people heavy. Um, and the reason being, we need someone to hold this creature who is probably going to be really amped up that there's a toy mm-hmm. thing happening, mm-hmm. especially if they've already got to do retrieves in possession like that day. And they're already like, oh my gosh, oh the my toy, God, you know, we got to play today. We've, right. Like we've already started it. <laughs> they're already gonna be like, yes. Um, so we've got someone to hold this creature back. Okay. Regardless if you're doing the field portion or this like stuff hunt portion um we've got someone to video because we need that Mm -hmm. you can tripod any of this obviously but we know it's it's weird and challenging and inevitably the dog's gonna go out of frame Uh they're just going to it just Mm -hmm. happens um that person who is videoing is also acting as your timer on this and i will explain why so they have multiple roles to play and then we're gonna have to have somebody that's out there i mean you might need two more people right but at least one more person um to either catch this toy once the person holding this excited creature throws it or you might have someone just throwing it to this person that's out in the field you know um Uh, now uh Yeah, see where I'm going with this. So in a field itself, this tall grass field, you can probably just chuck it. You might not need too many extra hands. But when you're doing this stuff hunt where there is potential for it to bounce off of something or (laughs) make a weird path, especially if you're using a tennis ball or chuck it Mm -hmm. um, or any bouncy kind of object, um, you know, again, the idea is to hide it. We don't want it to be a blind hide. We want to see the toy thrown. We want to see it as, as, you know, a group watching these videos. And we also want the dog to see it. We don't need it to be blind. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. We work that later on. No Mm -hmm. problem. But we want to, again, we want to bring up that prey. We also want to bring up the frustration. And what that turns into is barking, whining. In the case of some of our maybe herdy friends um, or some of our labby golden friends, um, who have some field genetics in there. It might be that still intensity of like the statue and they're mm-hmm. like barely breathing and you're like, Oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? You know, like yeah. that, like kind of shaking <laughs> in anticipation. We want to see that. And the best way to see it is to throw it, right? Yeah. You're throwing it and holding them back and they're going like, Oh my gosh. You know, 
we want it. We want to see it all. Um, so once you as the handler or a person standing next to you has thrown this, um, either into this vast field of tall grasses or into the stuff area, um, with the stuff area, you might have, again, that person that's kind of like catching it and then sort of tossing it sort of. So it's like, it changes hands a couple times, yeah. But again, but the dog is still seeing it move somewhere, and yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea of we want the placement of this toy to not be, first of all, impossible to get. Right? We do want the dog to get it. Um, we don't want it to get stuck in a hole somewhere and have the dog. You know, if it happens, it happens. We get it. But um, sure. ideally, they'd be able to actually get the item. Um, so having this other person will help. And also, too, if it's just a bad throw, goodness knows I cannot throw for the life of me. It's very exciting how many, like, gapes I've lost to the world. I don't know where they end up, but here we are. Um, and, you know, in some places, it's always places we don't want dogs to go, like, in a bunch of poison oak or, like, down right. a pit somewhere. And you're like, we're just going to act like this never happened. And later on, inevitably, someone will find it. So it's fine because they go down there anyway, even if we tell them no. Um, but, uh, you know, so so we get it. If there's a bad throw, having that extra mm -hmm. set of hands might be a little helpful to, to sort of place this. And obviously, it's not a ginger place. It's not a, like, hello, here, dog, I'm giving you the answer. It's a, like, all right, I'm in this location. You've tossed it to me. I'm going to sort of then toss it back a little further here, make sure it lands. Yeah behind something out of sight of the dog um so uh so yeah so that's a lot of info about this setup right it's yeah, really exciting but it's important <laughs> it's very yes it is very important um and the other part of this too is like i mentioned there are there's a timing element so that's going to be with our delays um so how this ends up working now, you've got your people, you've got someone timing things. You're like, you're ready to go. So what happens is person records, handler holds dog, a toy gets thrown and, and then lightly thrown again for a placement mm -hmm, or what, mm -hmm. what have you. Then we're going to start with an immediate release. We still want, because again, there are dogs and they are smart and some of them have that beautiful field genetics in their little uh -huh. brain. Um, we want them to be even more disoriented. So we do a spin before a release. So harnesses again are really great for this exercise, even if you might not need a long line, because uh, then it's easier to spin the dog, kind of yeah. maybe pick them up and make them spin. Yeah. Otherwise it's potentially challenging with a, with a collar, but that's okay. We we've done that too. Um, so you want to spin them completely around and then let them go. That's your immediate release. Um, again, what we want to see is the dog goes, I can't visually find this toy item. I really want to find it though. I have to use my nose. That's what we want to see that this, this process, this change from the visual to the, the odor stuff happens like no problem, super quick. They get it. Um, and it happens naturally, right? Yeah. They don't need cajoling. They don't need people saying, go find it, go get it. You know, people say it anyway, cause we're so excited. Um, but they don't need it. They, they like know what to it. do. Yeah. They already know they were born with it. Um, and so we want to see that they do that. Now the, the the next one after we've done an immediate release this is when your timer videographer is really going to start having to work the next one we do is a 15 second delay so now this is where we're really going to start to see some frustration we're going to maybe hear some vocalizing see that again that still statue like but shaking kind of <laughs> kind of dog um 
So that's where we start to see it. Um, so you're going to do throw the thing, you know, thing is in the world in this field environment. Um, our timer, once it is thrown uh, or once it is like lands or is, you know, lightly tossed into position mm-hmm. um, is going to start a 15 second countdown. Um, not out loud. They can do it quietly or they can do it aloud. I don't really care. Sure. Um, and then at the time that that is up, um, they say spin. Our handlers then spin the dog again and send them into the the search area. So again, we want to see the same thing. We want to see that they turn on that nose. They're probably going to really know to do that very quickly now. They've already learned the game in one one try, which is what we look for. Yeah. Um, and you know, we want to see that they're going to keep looking, keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. That tenacity. The yeah. next step is a full minute. And this is the longest minute. So the possession minute's pretty long too, but this minute feels like it is the longest minute ever in existence. It is, it feels like three weeks and you're like, what is happening? Yeah, you're looking yeah. at your timer. You're like, dude, are we done? Can we yeah. go? And they're like, oh, you know, they're like 30 seconds. You're like, what? So yeah. again, your timer's nice and important. The toy lands. They start that minute countdown um, while videographing this dog going nuts. We want to see the frustration has grown through just doing two reps before this, right? That tells us a ton. Okay. So can the dog still then search for the toy after that minute and not be as intense as we need? Absolutely. But we want to see that they are like mad. They're mad at this point. They're like, this is ridiculous. What is wrong with you people? You do not know how to play this game. (laughs) Really? Like, literally. They're like, why do you keep losing this? Okay. (laughs) Come on. Why won't you let me go get it right away? (laughs) Yeah. Like, let me help you. Okay, guys. Um, And again, so it's that full minute countdown. The timer says spin. The timer person says spin. Handler spins the dog in a circle. Let's go. So... Again, I mentioned this buildup of frustration. Um, the anger continues to grow with each repetition. That, in turn, we want to see also kind of add to building up that hunt intensity and obsession. Mm-hmm. We want to see that, that we, we describe it as desperate, desperate to find their toy item. Now, a couple questions. On any of these repetitions, what if the dog doesn't find it? We still want to see them work. We want to see them work. For, you know, you know, you, if it's like hundred degrees out, you know, you might say like, all right, they've been looking for a minute and a half. All right, let's like, let them, let them breathe, you know? Um, so there's some factors that come into play there, but we really want to see them looking pretty hard. Um, if they find them too quickly, we might actually ask you to redo them and make them harder because what we need to see is that it could have been like the perfect, um, you know, the perfect weather, the perfect temperature, the perfect X, Y, Z. And, you know, the dog just worked really quickly and appropriately and found it super fast. And we totally get that and obviously appreciate it because in the Uh grand scheme of life, that's what we train for anyway. However, there is that side of, we do need to see that even if they can't get to it right away, they will continue to work no matter what. And obviously it's, it's again, this idea of, you know, they're out in the field, they're doing their hunts and they're like, Ooh, there's a smell here. Oh, what was I doing? Okay. Let me go back. They don't really want to see that. We want to see yeah. the work. That is, that is a, a pretty, 
subtle thing. Um, and sometimes on video, especially if you're angled a certain way, you know, like you can't always tell. So, you know, the longer hunts for us, the better. So that way we can kind of make those, um, those calls without having get like a ton of reps and a ton of time, you know, an effort on the part of the individual or organization. Um, uh-huh. but again, that's, it's, it's very hard. It's hard. All right. We're going to wrap it up here. We're going to come back next week to talk more about the why of some of these search dog tests and dealing a little bit more with um, career change dogs, lifetime placement for dogs, all of that good stuff. So Katie, thank you so much for coming on. For everyone at home, make sure to get outside, be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and skill set. You can join Patreon, find transcripts, show notes, merch, all that good stuff all over at canineconservationists.org. We'll be back next week.